So our reading today is from the book of Acts. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The word of the Lord. Whenever we get people together, it's inevitable that conflicts arise because we are people who are flawed and who still have sin nature. And I wanted to share with you uh, some church leaders posted on Twitter a survey. Give us some arguments that you heard in church that are the most absurd, that strangest arguments that you've ever seen. So there were 25. I can't read 25, but I wanted to share 10 of the uh, submissions. So one church fought over an argument over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. Another church fought over whether or not to build a children's playground or to use the land for a cemetery. Some church members left the church because one church member hid the vacuum cleaner from them. It resulted in a major fight and a church split. These are all true stories. Um, a church argument and vote to decide if a clock in the worship center should be removed. And I guess that's because they're all looking at the clock, wondering when the sermon's over. Uh, a 45-minute heated argument over the type of filing cabinet to purchase, black or brown, two, three, or four drawers. A petition to have all church staff clean-shaven. That's never going to happen here because your pastor can't grow a beard. A, past, a dispute over whether the worship leader should have his shoes on during the worship service. A big church argument over the discovery that the church budget was off by 10 cents. Someone finally gave a dime to settle the issue. Two more. A disagreement over using the term potluck instead of pot blessing. Because we don't believe in luck. We believe in blessing. So they really fought over the word potluck. And lastly, an argument over who has the authority to buy postage stamps for the church. Wow. So this is the church in every warts and all. This is how we live when we gather together. People are always going to find something to complain about. And that's because we are people who have sin nature in us. And so the church is growing in the early Jerusalem church. Disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit. Spirit is filling people. They're being baptized. Numbers growing. And so in Acts 6, we get a sense of our first conflict. And so I wanted to share this with you. 
Oh, this is not a word yet. So the next slide. Thomas Kempis says this, be not angry that you cannot make others as you wish to them to be, since you cannot make yourself as you wish to be. Now just let that sink in. He was a 15th century theologian, Christian. Do not be angry that you cannot make others as you wish them to be, since you cannot make yourself as you wish to be. And therein lies the issue. Why do we have conflicts in church? None of us could control ourselves, but we're trying to control other people. And we're trying to make everybody simulate to what we like, and that's just not going to happen. Even in a sanctified, redeemed community of the church, filled with the Holy Spirit, which the early church here was. And so the church grew, and sin tendency is going to be there. Conflict arise. And the enemy here is not that people were talking about food. The real enemy was that people were not able to see the bigger mission and the purpose of this church. Throughout history, I want to share this. How many of you have grown, have matured, and have seen somebody step up in maturity because of conflict? Just raise your hand. I expected more than that. How many of you grew during conflict ever? Okay. I, I suspect most of us, it's the moments of conflict and stress and struggles that we're actually stretched. That's when we are seeing trust in God. That's when we develop a dependence on God. And so God, if you look at the Bible throughout Old Testament to New, it's during conflict and struggles that God shows up and does wonderful work. And we see that here. In Acts 6, there are two issues. There is not just one issue, but there are two issues. Here's the first issue. There were Greek widows and there were Hebrew widows, and they were relying on the distribution of food. And so the Greek widows noticed that they were not getting their share of the food. But the Hebrew widows were. So the Greek Jewish Christians rose up and said, hey, time out. We're not getting food to our ladies. These widows all depend on food. And you have to think, this is first century. Widows have really the, one of the lowest positions in the society. And it was a church. And even the Jewish temple, they collected offerings to give alms to the widows. And the church is continuing this process. But the first problem, though, is with the church growing, Greeks and Hebrews, there was a little bit of cultural tension. There was an explicit problem as the church grows. Not everyone looked alike. The good news was we were reaching foreigners. The bad news was it was getting a little hard to get along. And so a commentator, William Larkin, says this. Hebraic Jews had a prejudicial sense of superiority over the Grecian Jews. Why? This is our territory. We grew up here. You guys are foreigners who became proselytized and you came here. Lack of communication between the groups also fostered suspicion. In fact, human diversity will always bring with it opportunities for prejudicial division and injustice. Now, like elders and I talk about this all the time. Our church is really uniquely blessed by God. I don't know. I hope you realize that. We have a community that's quite diverse, but somehow no one is strangling each other and yelling at each other. There is a harmony here that I, we 
we can't explain other than the grace of God. We've never had in the recent years an argument about ethnicities or cultures. We simply gather together as the children of God, worshiping God, bringing our heritage. But this is very unique. And so it's unique because whenever you have diversity of issues, it's hard. My wife was a jury, uh, juror about three, four weeks ago. And I was like, how's it going? And she can't tell the details. But ha has anyone been in a jury? What, what does it take to convict or to dismiss? Unanimous. But if you have one person <laughs> who, who likes to kind of be, be important or there's any tension, it doesn't work. And so the prayer was, God, please guide the jurors so that Kathy doesn't come home and beat me up and, and get angry or, or do anything. Let us pray for that. Because whenever you get people together, conflicts are always going to arise. But then you add in generations, socioeconomic, you add in cultures. Are we going to get along? Probably not. But jurors, we trust the system because somehow after hours they get to a conclusion. Now think about that for church. As we gather together in Christ's name, look at the diversity here. Again, socioeconomic, generations, culture. How do we get along? And the conclusion is, we won't at times. Conflict is a necessary sometimes, but a normal part of being in a community. So the issue here is not how do we avoid this conflict, but there is going to be conflict. And in the Acts 6, because of this cultural barrier, there was an injustice. Some women that were Greek heritage were not getting food. I would be mad if my mom... If I'm a widow's son and, and I found out she's not getting her fair share. Why? Because she's Greek. And so there was an issue with distribution of food. Second, there's a second issue here, though. The apostles were being called in. Can you help us out with this? And what was the apostles' take? Next slide. Verse 2, they say this. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, when you read this in 21st century eyes, doesn't this kind of sound snitty? It almost sounds like, that's beneath me to serve tables. But there's a lot of uh, missing nuance here. The point that they're making is not that we are too important to serve tables in terms of who we are. The role that they have is to pray and to preach the good news. Should that be compromised for the sake of addressing this urgent issue? And the answer is clearly no. Is the feeding of widows fairly important? Absolutely. And as they go to the apostles, should the apostles jump in and fix this themselves? And the answer is they're saying this is not right for us to do because we have to preach and pray. Uh, to kind of make sense to this, uh, some of you may, I know some, some of our members grew up in a pastor's family, but you know what, I'm just going to confess here, uh, if you ever did it, I love you, I forgive you, you're, you're not in trouble, but it's Sunday morning, there's baptism, there's communion, there's Lord's Supper, there's a special song, there's announcements, pastor's thinking, and someone like Nathan's like, you got this, Pastor Jason, you, you want me to write down any notes, I, I got this, I got this. 9.59, the pastor's about to walk into the sanctuary, and then there's little Miss Betty. Miss Betty comes up. 
Pastor Jason, I need to talk to you. I am very angry. Someone didn't put away the coffee maker last Sunday. And I will not stand by that. 9.59, what should the pastor do? Is this important? Clearly for her. Now, how does that affect the psyche of a pastor about to go into the sanctuary? Should he say, everyone, postpone the worship. I need to address Miss Betty here. Can it wait? Of course it can wait. Is it important? Absolutely. It is important to her. Is that the right place to time to hold everything off? No. So it's one of those things where no one's dismissing it, but is that the right place for the, for the role of the worship leader to go into? So in pastor's blogs, things like that always come up. And the apostles were saying here, we have one job that is uniquely ours. We have one job. Our job is to proclaim the good news and to pray. Is this something we need to get involved in? And so this is Acts 6 working out. So the apostles, we'll dive into that a little bit more. They find a way to resolve the issue with grace and wisdom and the Holy Spirit. And they invite the gather to, to select seven men among them. And they do the distribution of food. Seven were elected. Everything went great. Verse 7 I'll read this. I think there's a slide. And the word of God continued to increase. That's the first thing. Notice it didn't say, and the widows were all happy and getting fed. That was assumed. But what's the priority here? The word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly because they just navigated through a conflict really well. And great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So Acts 6, it's not really about food distribution. This text is about how will we handle and manage conflict when conflict comes. Now, I would like to ask this question. In the past week, how many of you have experienced any kind of conflict in your life? Only one, two. Okay, you guys are living in peace. How many of you have experienced conflict this morning? Getting the kids already to church? Or, no, just don't raise your hand. I'm just kidding. That was rhetorical. So what are some things we could extrapolate? What are we seeing here in Acts 6? So just let's take some points away. There are, there are wise ways of addressing conflicts. And so I'm, this is not a blueprint of the only way to deal with conflicts. But I love the way the apostles with wisdom from the Holy Spirit addressed conflicts. And I want to share that with you, if you don't mind. So here's the first thing. Number one, the next slide. The first thing that the wisdom in conflict management, the apostles dealt with it directly. They dealt with it. They came in. They didn't sidestep it. They didn't ignore it. They addressed the issue right away. They called a meeting right away together. Now, I don't know. Some of you think conflict management is equal to conflict avoidance. If you're a conflict avoidance personality, everyone will tell you in the long run that is not healthy for you. Conflict avoidance never ends in a good way. It is healthy conflict resolution. But I grew up in a culture, my family, I don't know about anyone's, my parents, it was either hot or cold. Conflict was like, oh, just, just, just chamo, you know, can you say the word chamo? Chamo? It's a Korean word for just tolerate it. Chamo. Mom, my brother hit me on the head with a pot. Just chamo. 
And I get this bruise growing up. I'm bleeding. Just chama. And then it's cold. Don't do it. They don't do anything. They don't deal with it, address it until, oh, it's on. And then it's World War III. Is that healthy? So if you're wondering why I'm the way I am. But the apostles, they dealt with it directly right away. And so Ronald Heifetz and Marty Linsky, they wrote their, their incredible leadership minds. This is what they write. Successful leaders manage conflict. Successful leaders manage conflict. They don't shy away from it or suppress it, but see it as an engine of creative creativity and innovation. That's great. I love conflict. Don't waste, don't miss out on a crisis, right? Don't waste the crisis. They go on. Some of the most creative ideas come out of people in conflict, remaining in conversation with one another, rather than flying into their own corners or staking out entrenched positions. The challenge for leaders is to develop structures and processes in which such conflicts can be orchestrated productively. That's wisdom right there. So instead of saying the silent treatment works for me, cool down, and when you're cool, stay in communication. How do we get here? What's the real issue? And you use first person pronoun, right? I, I, right? And so the first thing the apostles did was they addressed it directly. Second, it was timely. Verse 1 and 2 says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint came, blah, 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 and then the widows were not being elected. The next line, verse 2, and the 12 summoned right away. Um, and it wasn't, like, it wasn't a quick reaction. It was a quick response. They gathered all the people together, and then the next thing is collectively they gathered them. So timely and collectively, number three, and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples. You know what I love about this wisdom? They didn't create a sub-shadow group. They didn't only call the people that they liked. They got everybody involved right away. This is our issue. This is not her issue. This is us. How will we manage it together? Um, I don't know how many of you have talked, you know, spoken with other churches but one mega church in the area lost 50% of their regular attendance in the past two years during the COVID lockdown. And I asked the pastor, who's number two in charge, what happened? And get this, it wasn't bad preaching, it wasn't bad worship, it wasn't heresy. You know what the three reasons caused this church to split and people to leave? One, you're making us wear masks or you're not making us wear masks. Two, you're talking about Black Lives Matter. You're not talking about Black Lives Matter. Three, you're pushing vaccine or you're not pushing vaccine enough. And the pastors, they didn't do anything and they were immediately divided in the church. And this is why the stress level of pastors shot up during the past three years when everything seemed fine and they retired because the division in this world was so great. And so, I don't know why, but God's grace for this church community was massive during the pandemic. During the COVID, we lost one young adult person to an ideology 
of COVID. Everybody, all of you stuck together. COVID, mask, you know, worshiping, politicizing. None of you found an issue to quarrel in our church. And I find that to be the grace of God. Was there discomfort? Absolutely. But we didn't say, I'm leaving because you're doing this or not doing this. And one of the reasons I think is because the session did a marvelous job during those three years. Our session, they were filled with wisdom and spirit, and they engaged this. They talked it through to the congregation, and we were all in it together. Hallelujah. And so this was a community saying, this is not going to be a pastor issue or a few individuals. It's a we issue. And you see the disciples, the apostles, they gathered everyone together and they said, how will we resolve this issue together? And then they did the next thing. In light of all this, they were thinking about this issue in light of the mission. Their mission was to convey the good news of Jesus Christ, that he is the savior of the world, that sinners have hope, that Jesus died and rose again, and so we can be united with God. This is the good news they were sharing. And the question was, how does this issue fit into our mission? They can't distribute the food, but what is the one responsibility the apostles could do? It was preaching the word. Um, and this is a principle that's not only universal, but corporations use it. Anybody know who Steve Jobs is? If you have an iPhone, thanks Steve Jobs. He famously said this. In light of the mission, in light of the purpose, you know, as you come up with decisions, remember this quote. Steve Jobs said, deciding what not to do is as important as deciding what to do. Did you catch that? Deciding what not to do is just as important as deciding what to do. And so for the disciples, it was this. There's a food issue here. Let's jump in and fix it. That's kind of my personality. I like to get in dirty. But the apostles were wiser than me. <laughs> they were like, this is not the best place for us. We have to hold to preaching the word and praying. So did they ignore the issue? No. They gathered the people together. And the next thing they did in this conflict was they empowered the church and they delegated to the right people. That's number five. They empowered the church and they dele delegated to the right people. Verse three. Therefore, Adelphos, brothers and sisters, pick among you seven men. Notice the first offices of the church. This is uh, where we might get deacons. was about serving. It wasn't about power. It wasn't about titles. But it was serving food to the widows. And it chose people who were of good reputation, filled with the spirit and full of wisdom. And this delegation was not dumping, but it was addressing the issue in a way that the mission of the church can continue. Friends, I want to just put a side plug here. If you've been at our church for a few years and you're not actively partly contributing to serving the ministry, you're missing out on a blessing for you. This is how it furthers the mission of the church, not the session, not the pastor. But as we saw the video last week, the church is you. And we further God's mission when we participate together. As opposed to, well, we pay the pastor, so he should do all the work. That is a real mentality. Well, what we say is, we, the pastors and the leaders, equip the body to serve as ministers in the world. And we see that delegation of power. 
And so this wisdom of the church in selecting these seven was great because, you know the seven? Did you catch some of the names? One commentary says all seven of them. I think at least half of them were. But out of the seven, they chose Greek, spirit-filled men. How brilliant is that? You have a culture issue and a language issue, so who do you choose? Greek, spirit-filled men who are able to convey and relay and resolve this issue. So healthy conflict management is direct, timely, collective, together. You see it in light of the mission. It's not its own urgency. It empowers the body, and we delegate it. And I thought that was such a brilliant lesson that the apostles had in the beginning. So going on, there's a message to us today. And this is the message that I want to say in light of uh, just so many social justice issues and should we push social justice, should we push evangelism, should we go back and forth. And I think this text answers it. Progressives like social justice, conservatives like the word, the preaching of the word. Well, you see in this text a beautiful balance of both. And I'll show you with you this way. The message today is we must minister to the marginalized and the vulnerable. Yes? Amen? Uh, we must minister to the vulnerable and the marginalized. Amen? Okay. Whew. I was like, oh, no, no, let them suffer. Let them. But here's the contraction, contract, the, the conjunction that needs to take place. And at the same time, we maintain and hold the primary role of the church, which is to proclaim the good news. So it's not either or, but as we meet the needs of the community, we continue with wisdom to propel the good news of Christ. It is both. I don't know why we made it one or the other. And I love people who do social justice, but man, you can't have justice ultimately without Jesus. You can't have Jesus without recognizing our sin. And we can't do with our sin unless we repent of it and turn and trust God. But we can also ignore the plight of the widows, the orphans. And so how do we do this? With wisdom, the church creatively addresses the needs of the community while proclaiming the good news of the gospel. So the problem today is not that the, some Christians are active in social justice. My friend told me that he was pushed out of his church for using the words social justice. True story. In his church, like, don't you dare say those words. Because there's so much connotation. But I want to say, I wish everybody knew, the problem is not social justice and social justice itself. That's a good thing. Social justice issues do exist. But the problem becomes when while fighting for social justice, Christians fall into the exact problem and the concern that the apostles saw in Acts 6, which is what? We cannot forget the ministry of prayer and preaching. Did you catch that? And so we do it with wisdom collectively. I can't do it by myself, but if I get 100 friends who aren't baptized into Christ, can we do it? Yes. So do not give up the preaching of the gospel. I want to share this. This is from our denomination book. They have six great ends of the church. This is common, not just in Presbyterian. But if you look at the first four, it's about God's truth, God's salvation, divine worship, 
spiritual fellowship and salvation. Verse 4, about the good news. And then you get to number 5, which is what? Social righteousness. So they got it right, but there is a, there is a priority, isn't there? The apostles are saying we cannot give up the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ and to pray. That comes first while we do social justice and exhibiting the kingdom of heaven to the world. This is the order of the church. This is our directive. This is why God has placed us here to these great ends for the salvation and this. And so I realize it's also within our name. Do you know what my official title is? It's not senior pastor. It's not pastor. You know what the official formal title of, of me? <laughs> it's teaching elder. What am I teaching? The word of God. And then I'm also, you have another title. Minister of the word and sacraments. What am I set apart for? What am I ordained for? To proclaim God's word and to administer sacraments rightly. So who does all the work of the vulnerable, meeting the needs? Minister, pastor, equip your body, equip your sheep, and do it together as are gifted. And this is how the church runs. And so the Acts 6 shows us this. And the conclusion of all of this is the beauty that nobody won. It wasn't the Greeks won. It was the Hebrews won, right? In the, this is modern world, they'd be like, see, we were right. People love being right. You, you people were prejudicial. We were right. Forget that. Go back to the mission. Who won? The church, Jesus. The word was distributed and the disciples multiplied. So here's a takeaway as we kind of bring this down to a close. First is we need to become better at conflict management. And the people of God said, amen. I, you know, I know that's a fact. It's not just for church. But if you're a parent, you need to keep learning to manage conflict better. If you're married, oh, for sure. Wives, poke your husband. Husband, poke your wives. If you need to know how to figure out conflict management. So it's not conflict avoidance, but how do we handle conflict effectively? Because church body, in the 14 years that I've been here, I don't think anyone said, I want to destroy this church. No one has a malicious intent. But why do conflicts arise? Somebody wrote a book called Well-Intentioned Dragons. <laughs> and let me read a quote. Every church has them, sincere, well-meaning Christians who leave ulcers, strained relationships, and hard feelings in their wake. They don't intend to be difficult. They don't consciously plot destruction or breed discontent among the members. But they often do undermine the ministry of the church and make pastors question their calling. And so hence this book. What are they saying? We have in the congregation well-intended people who unintentionally create hurt and conflict by undermining leadership. Well, I just, I'm just trying to help. I'm just trying to be nice. And so we're going to have conflict. And some of you came to this church because you've experienced conflict. And some of you are going to leave this church someday, hope not, because of conflict may arise. So the issue is not find the church without conflict. Is that, does that even exist? My theology says no, but it's how do we manage the conflict? We need to become a church that manages conflict well. I want to see your families grow to be managers of conflict. And second, the gospel is of utmost importance. If the disciples 
apostles would not compromise the message of the good news, we need to look at our church and say, what is our message to the world, really? I love that churches are doing great activities, fundraisers, helping. At the end of the day, what is the message? That Jesus Christ was provided by God to be atoning sacrifice for the world. That in Christ, we are made new and forgiven. We are accepted by God in his grace. And the world has hope, real hope. This is the good news. And we cannot compromise that for the sake of activities and crises that pull us away. But here's the final thing, and this is the shortest. The brilliance of God is through Acts chapter 6, you've got foreign-born people becoming leaders of the church. That God used this conflict to raise Greek, Jewish Christians to become ordained and installed to do the work of the church. You know what this tells me? Every one of you, if you're going through a conflict, if we believe Romans 8, 28, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him have been called according to his purpose, that your conflict, you should delight in it because when you offer it up to God, God will use that to glorify himself and to further his purpose and possibly transform you by the Holy Spirit. That's exciting. So I'm not saying invite conflict, but when we have conflict, we could say, Lord, grant us wisdom, grant us grace, that we could see your power at work in me through this for your glory. And the people of God said, amen. Let's pray. Lord, feel like we're in a world where it's just nonstop conflict. So give us wisdom to endure, to navigate through, and to grow from these conflicts by your spirit. Especially in the church, give us peace. But when that peace is challenged or tested through conflicts or personalities, grant us humility, grant us wisdom, and clarity for your mission. That ultimately, these things don't become the primary thing, but your mission, your glory is lifted up. Lord, some of us are scarred and wounded from past conflicts. And for those, give us healing. Give us refreshment and renewal. For those who are overcome and overwhelmed by just a conflict within themselves or around them interpersonally with their families or even households, I pray for those situations that your mercy would shine through. That if they don't, if they know you, that they would cling to you as the Lord. And if they don't know you, that this would be an opportunity for them to realize that true ultimate peace comes from you. So God, uh, continue to lead us. Thank you for your words in Acts 6. And we're so excited in the way that you have built the church. That this is not a man-made organization, but it is the miracle of your hand working through broken, messy people like us. And so for that, we thank you again, Jesus. And we turn to your grace as we go to your table. In your name we pray. Amen.